to talk to you because I did bring the altar because we must cry out and spare not tonight. We must get to the place of awakening once again in our lives. See, in fact, it's when you can no longer stench the, the stench of compromise. You can no longer stand the stench of compromise that we arise and run back to the altar. It's not until we get to that place where we can't take the own junk in our own lives and we relinquish control of our lives and run to the altar that we begin to see a transformation begin to take place. See, I don't want it this generation to say of us that we did not want to see a move of God. Shall the generations to come lose, look back at us and declare that we were loud for the wrong reasons and quiet during the right seasons? See, I don't want this generation to say of us that we did not know how to enter into the presence of God. I want this generation to say of us that we knew what it meant to be tied to the altar, to be tied to this place. The altar is not a piece of wood. You understand that, right? The altar is not this physical piece of wood that's in the front of the sanctuary. It's a lifestyle. It's a place of daily encounters. It's a place where we allow God to enter into our life, where we hear him calling us in the morning time, where we hear, hear, hear him drawing us into his presence. See, the altar I speak of is a living, breathing place. It's alive. It calls to you. See, I want you to be warned today. Day because the altar is the place where you will have to come and lay your flesh upon it. The altar is going to be the place that you're going to have to battle a little bit of yourself in order to get there. See, the altar is the place where there can be nothing left of me when I climb upon the altar. See, but when you climb upon it, when you grab hold of it, when you experience it, that's when yourself will leave. That's when the flesh will die. And that's when your spirit will begin to live again. See, that's what we're wanting. That's what we want to see. See, I'm here to preach to those who have been altered tonight. I'm here to preach to the ones who have just about had enough. See, many people will say that this message isn't relevant. Many people across the world will say that this message is old school, that this message is outdated. But can I tell you something? Many will say that it has no place in our world. But see, here's the problem. It may not have a place in our lives. It may not be new school. It may not be relevant. But see, here's the deal. I don't care about fitting in into this world. I don't care about fitting into the relevance that this world has to offer. What I don't want is I don't want to be out of place in heaven. I don't want to be out of place when I get to heaven and I'm standing before the throne of God and I'm falling at his feet. I don't want to be accused of not knowing how to crawl to the feet of Jesus. I don't want to be accused of not having experienced the power and the glory and the might that God has to give me. See, I don't want to be out of place in heaven. See, because for so long, our heart's cry has been, Lord, don't let there be anything left of us when you're done with us. Don't let there be anything left of me. God, make me what you want me to be, and don't let there be anything left of me when you get done with me. See, I understand that for God to truly use someone greatly, then they must first have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with a living Savior. They must first have an encounter with the only one who can change them from the inside out and declare, woe is me. Woe is the person in me. There's nothing good inside of me. There's nothing holy inside of me. There's nothing righteousness. There's no righteousness inside of me. Apart from God, I can do nothing. But with him, I can trample on serpents. With him, I can conquer the enemy. With him, I can lead my family into victory. With him, I can lead a revolution that will change the very course of history. See, where you, it's a place where you realize that outside of God, there is nothing good in us. Isaiah 6, 5 says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am undone. That word ruined means undone. It says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. See, I want my selfish flesh to die 
so that God's Spirit can take over in me. See, I know I sound intense tonight. I know I sound passionate tonight. But there comes a point in your life where you say, God, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what it costs me in my natural, in my flesh. I've got to get to your presence. I've got to get to your altar. I've got to lead people into the truth, into the place where you can deliver, set them free, and they can encounter you. See, I've never known anyone to see God and live. I've never known anyone to see God and to be able to stand in his presence. See, we are called to be mobile upper rooms. Do you know what that means? We're called to carry the presence of God everywhere we go, everywhere we step our feet, everywhere we, we go into, whether it's in Walmart, whether it's into the airport, whether it's into our school, we're to carry the presence of God. See, but today we have to realize I want to echo what John the Baptist, what was, I feel the cry of John the Baptist, Mark 1, 3, that says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. See, have you ever needed a breakthrough in your life? Have you ever been so desperate that you needed a breakthrough in your life? See, I'll never forget because when our son, Nate, was a senior in high school, I'll never forget because one morning, and we write about this in the, in the book, Rebuilding the Altar, when the chapter of Rebuilding Your Home, Rebuilding the Altar in Your Home. Because one morning we were getting up and, and getting ready for school, and Nate was walking through the house, and Nate was being recruited for football. Our son was an athlete. He was uh, being recruited by all these colleges, actually went on to play college football and, and, you know, on scholarship and everything. But he was being recruited, and he was being pulled in so many different directions, and he was being pulled into some things that were not of God. I mean, how many of you know we have got to cover our children in prayer? Because he was being pulled. And one morning we were getting ready for school and we didn't know all that was going on. And Nate was walking through the house and he looks out the window and we had a huge privacy fence out in the backyard. No one could have got in our yard. And Nate yells, Dad, someone's in the backyard. Abby comes walking through and she was just real little and she looks out the window and she goes, Daddy, someone's in the backyard. I immediately turned and looked out the window and I saw a dark figure in our backyard and I yell, Pat, someone's in the backyard. And Pat runs out, and he runs out the backyard, and there is no one there. There's no one there. But before he left the house and he glanced out the window, he said all he saw was a hooded figure in all black, just couldn't see the face. It was just a hooded figure in the black backyard. And there's nowhere this person could have went because of the tall privacy fence that we had in our backyard. And he said when he got out there, he asked God, he said, God, what was that? And the Lord said, the enemy has been visiting your home. Prepare yourself and rebuild the altar in your home. Because the enemy is trying to steal your seed. And we went to war and we began to pray. And it was only a couple of weeks after that that our son came to us. And he confessed a lot of the junk that he had gotten into with drugs and with alcohol and the things that they had been offering him as he was being recruited into football. And he wanted to get free and he wanted to. And I never forget because in that moment, right before he confessed to us, Pat and I were walking. We would go out to the track to walk and we both had a dream. Pat and I always say that we have a sleep disorder called revelation because God always speaks to us in our sleep. And so we were woke up one morning and we were out walking. And Pat looks at me and he said, I had a dream last night. And I said, me too, but you go first. And he told me that in the dream, he saw Nate was killed in a car accident. And I began to weep. And I said, I had a dream Nate was killed in a car accident as well. Only in my dream, we couldn't find his body. And the enemy was trying to kill him. And God spoke to us and said that it was not a physical death that Nate was experiencing, but the enemy was trying to take him out spiritually. And we began to war for him and war for him and war for him until the point where he came back and he was able to be restored. And now he is literally ministering to thousands upon thousands of kids in California as a youth pastor, teaching them that they can be snatched out of the pit of hell. See, the enemy didn't win because we came to a place where we said we're going to rebuild the altar in our home before we try to rebuild the altar anywhere else. We're going to rebuild it right there in our home and bring our family back to the place of encounter. See, you have to be able to have a revival and encounter in your own home before you can go out and have it corporately. And 
It's going to start when people begin to have those daily encounters. See, if you ever needed that breakthrough, it's time to tell hell that it cannot have your seed. It's time to tell the enemy that he has no hold on your family. See, it was just two years ago after that, just two years ago, that Pat and I begin to hear God tell us, say this one statement to us. We heard him say, tie me to the altar. And we were like, what does that even mean? And we began to, to study it and to, to go into depth. And we began to write rebuilding the altar because Psalm 118 says that the God is the Lord and he has given us light. It says, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. So in other words, it was saying, tie the sacrifice to the altar. The, the Bible says that we are a living sacrifice to present to God. So tie me to the altar, Lord. Tie me to that place of encounter. It says, tie me to the place where I will feel your presence. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Christ's love compels us. It constrains us. It wraps itself around us and transforms us into what we are called to be. See, because we are the sacrifice, we are to put ourselves on the altar because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. See, I had to come to a place in my own life where I can walk over and I can find the place where I can look into the face of God and I can say, Lord, tie me back. Tie me back to that place that encounter that I had at 13 years old, it's sitting at a park bench at school where I felt like a failure, where I felt like a nobody, where I felt like I didn't have a voice, where I felt like I would never amount to anything because I didn't come from the right family, because I didn't come from the right pedigree. Tie me back to that park bench experience where in that moment where I wanted to give up, where I wanted to lay down and die, where I wanted to just sink into the abyss of lostness, but you met me at a park bench in second seventh grade and you sat down next to me and you said these words to me Karen if you will allow me I will walk this journey with you see he met me in my desperate state in my desperate situation in that moment I decided long ago that I would tie myself to that experience, that I would tie myself to that moment where Jesus spoke to me, where the Father looked down on me and said, you are worth my time, where the Father looked down on me and said, the world may cast you aside, the world may throw you away, the world may not take count you in the game, the world may not pick you, the world may say that you're a nothing and a nobody, but what I see when I look at you is I see a warrior, I see a champion, I see someone who has a voice to change the world. See, tie me back to that experience, God. Tie me back to that moment when I prayed past all the jeers and the enemy and danced past my fears of tomorrow. See, you will never be so close to freedom as when you were nailed to the, to the prison called the cross. See, you will never be so close to freedom as in that moment where you surrender everything. See, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because it's your true act of worship. See, it's easy to lay what you love on the altar. It's easy, or what you hate on the altar. It's easy to lay your sin on the altar. It's easy to come up here when the altar call is given and to lay the things that are bothering you, lay your, your burdens on the altar, to lay the things that you hate upon the altar. But are you willing to lay your flesh upon the altar? Are you willing to lay the things you love on the altar, your dreams, all the things in your life? Are you willing to lay those things on the altar? See, we didn't understand what God was trying to tell us when we were writing this book, and we began to pray. We didn't know that we would end up writing a book through all of the studies. See, in fact, the moment that we began to write this book, all hell came against our family. See, the moment that we decided that we were going to take on the task, and I want you to know just a moment of transparency. There have been moments through the writing of this book. There have been moments during this book tour. There have been moments during the time that we have been going around and sharing about the encounter that I've looked up into heaven and said, God, the cost is too great. The things that are coming against our family is too great. Can I be transparent with you tonight? 
because they see the enemy is on an all-out rampage because there's a message about the altar. There's a truth in the altar that the enemy does not want you to know. There is a truth that it's the altar where you can be saved. It's the altar where you can be healed. It's the altar where you can be transformed. It's the altar where your family members can come back to know him. It's at the altar that you can be set free from addiction. It's at the altar that you can be freed from every depression, discouragement, and despair. It's at the altar where you can be set free to go out and rescue other people. But there's where there is a cause. There is a cost. And the enemy raged war against our family right after we got approval from our publisher to begin writing this book because they fought us for writing this book. And they said, nobody wants to buy books to repent anymore. Can you believe that? And Pat looked at him one day and he said, well, then you better stop selling the Bible. And they gave us approval to write this book. And the day that we began to write this book, Pat lost his voice for six weeks. He couldn't talk. He would barely whisper. He was struggling with his voice and didn't know what was going on. Our daughter also began to lose her hearing and ended up having to get hearing aids. Can I tell you, in that same moment is when the disc in my neck ruptured and I ended up having to go in to have surgery because nothing would help it. And then now my back has gone out. But can I tell you something? Nothing is going to stop the message that God has. That the altar is going to be restored in our nation. That we have a plan to put 10,000 altars in the homes across America. We are going to put an altar in the White House. If you don't believe it, God's opened the door for Pat to be on POTUS Shield, which is the prayer team for the president. And they have said they are going to try to get an altar into the White House. I'm telling you, we are restoring the place of a counter in our nation. See, but I wrote about it in Dehydrated because we have to become frustrated. We didn't understand what was going on, and I'll share more about that later. But I wrote about it in Dehydrated where I said, you know you're about to have a breakthrough when everyone in your life is laughing at your level of faith. When everyone around you is laughing at the level of faith that you have, that's the moment that we rise up and fight. See, we must all rebuild the place of the encounter with God. Because the church will not survive another generation of fluffy, feel good, hold, no holiness, simply have That's a good right. cause. Ignore the Holy Spirit church services that do nothing but fill pews and pacify devils. See, another generation won't survive that. See, the Bible from cover to cover is about one thing. The Bible from cover to cover is about one statement, and that statement is redemption. Right. And getting back to the place of the altar. The altar's not a piece of wood. It's a lifestyle. See, I'm telling you, not too long ago when we were facing all of these issues and we were moving to Texas and everything was going wrong and everything was going crazy. Things were going wrong with the house. Things were going wrong with the move. I'll never forget because one morning we get up and you can feel the heaviness in our house. And all I heard from across the room was my husband standing in the area that we have our own in our home and all I heard him declare was he called up to Abby in her room when we were getting ready for school and he said Abby meet me at the altar and we met at the altar that morning can I tell you when you meet at the altar when you have an encounter when you have a place where you say today we're going to commit ourselves to the one who can deliver and set free that the atmosphere begins to change See, the most, uh, the most dangerous Christian that hell will ever face is the one that confronts the terrorist called lethargy. And they decide, just as James 4 says, come near to God and I'll draw near to you. Draw near to God and I'll draw near to you. Psalm 84 says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place you, near your altar, Lord, my King. And my God. See, there's a place. See, I grew up with the altar experience. I grew up in church that had an altar call. But the problem was none of us in my generation knew what the purpose of it was. I'm tired of going through services where we don't see God's presence manifested. 
See, I'm expecting miracles here tonight. I'm expecting my back to be healed. I'm not settling for what the enemy has. I'm declaring that I believe his word. I know his Come word on. is true. And Let's I stand upon it. See, the altar is the place where what you've been gets interrupted by what you can become. And the altar has always been the place where God has always brought death into life. It's always been the place where he has brought life out of death. See, I'm talking about a face-to-face -face encounter. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, With unfelt faces, faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, I'm here to tell you that to preach without the encounter with God reduces the preacher to an actor where the audience determines the message and the Holy Spirit is locked out into the street as an intruder in his own house. See, we have to get back to the altar. See, I'm calling us to weep again, to weep again for the lost. We have to curl up. It's somewhere between amen and there it is. We've got to get to the place where we live in a state of miracles. Joel 1.13 says, You priests mourn, wail for those. Mourn and wail you who minister before the altar. Because the greatest miracle, God. I love what Leonard Ravenhill says. And he says, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy. Then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. That's what God wants to do. He wants to make Amen. us living testimonies. But you must be ready to become undone. Wow. You must become ready to be undone. To be unwrapped. See, there's so many Old Testament altar encounters in the Bible. Abraham and Isaac, where he took him. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and lay him on the altar. The, the encounters. Jacob, who wrestled with God, and he walked away with a limp called brokenness, Moses in the burning bush, Esther realizing that it was for such a time as this, Elijah confronting Jezebel, Ahab and the prophets of Baal, and the people of Israel, and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? See, it's David when confronted by Goliath. Solomon, when we built the temple and erected the altar and the glory came in, Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilt the altar and the walls. See, one of my favorite and all of those encounters, but one of my favorite scriptures and one of my favorite altar calls was a, about one specific person named Isaiah. See, all through the Bible we have altar calls. And I love it because Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled his temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. I want to be in that church service. How about you? See, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. But one of the seraphs flew with me, a live coal in his hand. And we know the story says, Whom shall I send? And he says, Here am I. But see, what does it mean to be undone? What does it mean to be ruined? To be undone by God? Did you know that that word ruin literally means undone? And the Hebrew word for that is dama, and it means to be silent, to fail, to perish, destroy, cease, to be cut down, to, to be brought back to silence, to be undone from your past, and to be utterly reduced. So what Isaiah was saying in that moment is, I am ruined. I am ruined. I have been brought down to nothing in the presence of God. I have been brought down to what really matters. I've been stripped of everything wow. in my life, and I am exposed in all truth before my king. See, that's what he was saying. See, I'm convinced today more than ever that we don't need just a nice little visitation from God. See, I love it when people welcome God into the service, but what I want to tell them is I don't want a visitation from my king. I want a habitation. I want a move in with me God moment. I want
See, we all want to experience the fire of God. But what we don't need in our churches is another small, feel-good, comforting fire. What we need is an all-consuming fire that comes and it burns away everything in our life. Where the fire begins from one side and goes to the next and it burns up everything in its path. Put me a flame for God. Put me out in the world. Let me burn. Because when you burn for God, people will come to watch you burn and will be caught up in the warmth of His presence. See, my focus today is not on the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. See, my focus is not on the glory of the throne room. My focus is not on the, it's not even on the shaking of the threshold or the bumping of the bass drum. My focus is not on how glorious the, the room must have looked and how glorious that scene was. It's not even on how long his train was and how amazing that was. It's not on any of those things. Today, my focus is on Isaiah. Because Isaiah was not moved by his surroundings. Isaiah was not moved by the sound of the beating of the drum. He wasn't moved by any of those things. He was moved to his knees by the glory of God, by the presence of the Holy One that brought him down and said, you are ruined. See, it was that moment and there were four steps to becoming undone. The first step is you must become frustrated. You must become frustrated. See, I'm talking to the ones in this room who have been wondering what is next for me. For those who will say, what am I going to do with the dash on my tombstone? What am I going to do with that little dash that describes my entire life? That says, what did I do with my dash? What did I do with it? What is my life going to mean? What is, is my life going to count? See, all through history, God seems to grab those who have been put in secret, to have been hidden away, in order to trust with a message of awakening. These are those that God looks down and he whispers, are you ready for a revolution? Are you ready for change? See, but first he has to get you to a place of frustration. And I believe that there are those in this house who have been frustrated who have been in a place of frustration. See, Isaiah was frustrated. He had nowhere to turn. His mentor, his friend, his king, Uzziah, had died. And the worst part about it was the king had died because of his pride. And you don't believe it? Let me prove it to you. Because the Bible says that King Uzziah died. It says now, the king Uzziah just died. But look what it says in 1 Chronicles 26, 13. It says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That was the priest's job. But see, in Isaiah 6, 1, here's what that he said. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. See, the king had died because of his pride. Wow. So couldn't we really in reality say in the year that my pride died, I saw the Lord. Come on. In the year that I laid everything down, in the year that I surrendered my will, in the year that I said, I give you everything, I saw the Lord. See, in the year that I stopped laying everybody else on the altar, in the year that I climbed upon the altar, I saw the Lord. See, that's where we've been this year. See, in the year that I gave everything up, I saw the Lord. See, because the king had died because of his pride. Because pride will kill your life. Pride will kill your marriage. Pride will kill your, kill your relationship with your children and your influence with people. So in the year that my pride died, I saw the Lord. See, I'm frustrated tonight. I'm frustrated that secular Christianity has taken over our church. I'm frustrated that we build larger platforms than we do altar areas. I'm frustrated tonight because I'm sick and tired of the celebrity Christianity. No more celebrity Christians. No more people who say, look at me, look at me. But those who will say, look at him, look at Come him. On. See, I'm tired and I'm frustrated. See, we're afraid of truth. And truth has become the new hate speech. And the enemy of truth is silence. The 
rise up and declare truth again. See, I'm frustrated that the church has been quiet while Satan has been destroying our families. I'm frustrated that many churches that we send people home each week without an encounter with the one true God. It's a mad dash to the restaurants when our children are starving, starving for an encounter with God. Come on. See, I'm frustrated that grace is being preached wrong. I'm tired that I'm frustrated that everyone's preaching grace covers everything I do so I can do whatever I want. Wow. But can Come I tell on. you what true grace is? True grace is that God loves me just as I am, that he loves me too much to leave me that way. That's right. See, true grace means to empower. That's what that word means. So everywhere you see the word grace in the Bible, replace it with empower. Because he empowered me to walk away from yesterday. He empowered me to walk away from sin. He empowered me to walk away from the addictions. He empowered me to walk away from a life that was leading me down the wrong path. He empowered me to resist sin. And he empowers me to live a holy life. See, I'm frustrated that the altar is considered useless in a culture that so desperately needs an encounter. Wow. See, have you ever been frustrated? See, I can't even explain this level of frustration. Because if the church is only about entertainment and not the recognition of God's holiness, then we will leave inflated and not broken and changed. See, frustration and agitation are the mother of true intercession. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. See, God will frustrate you to get you to your next. Because Romans 8.19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. See, God is calling the church back to passionate glances and secret encounters. He wants to simply take his child in his arms and say, you're going to be just fine. See, if you're not declaring life over your children, if you're not declaring life over your marriage, if you're not declaring life over your son and your daughter, then the enemy is quick to run in and to speak lies over their identity. Wow. We just saw miracles take place in Come San Francisco and where people's identity was restored, where they had bought into the lies of culture that they weren't born that way, that they weren't born in the right body. But as we began to preach and we began to speak the truth, it compelled them to come forth come and to on. be free and to accept the identity of Christ into their life. Come on. See, frustration is the doorway to the end of self and the beginning of a God encounter. But frustration will always lead to desperation. That place of desperation. Because when I get frustrated, I get so desperate. Isaiah had served a king. For years he had simply reiterated what the king had said. And he had repeated what the king had saw and what he had done. He was a scribe. He was the king's personal secretary. But the king was dead. And now he was frustrated. Now he had to find God on his own. Not second-hand information anymore. How many of you know you can't live your life off grandma's salvation? You can't live your life off your parents' salvation. You can't live your life off looking at Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts and Instagram accounts saying, what is God speaking to everybody else? At some point, you've got to hear God for yourself. And you've got to have an encounter where you listen to God's voice and you walk in obedience to his voice. See, Psalm 34 says, when I was desperate, I called out, and God got me out of a tight spot. God's angels set up a circle of protection around me while we pray. See, we must die to everything and crawl back on the altar. See, but desperation leads to revelation. Have you ever been that desperate? Have you ever been that desperate for an encounter for God to show up? Because I'll never forget several years ago, about three, three and a half years ago, our son had a spinal disease called Sherman's kyphosis. Both of us have spinal issues. And it's a disease that causes your back to literally curve forward. And he had battled it for a couple of years, still played football. He still was living that dream. But then one day the doctor looked at him and said, Nate, you're going to have to make a choice. If you continue to play football, you're going to spend the rest of the year or the rest of your life in a wheelchair. 
hospital. And he said, are you prepared to do it from a wheelchair? And Nate had to make a choice to give up football. And he gave up his scholarship. And I'll never forget because in that moment we thought that it would devastate Nate. But he looked across the room and he said, can I take my guitar back to college with me? Because I'm going to worship through this storm. Wow. I'm going to worship in the midst of my dreams being ripped away from me. I'm going to worship. And I'll never forget because after he got married and his wife was pregnant with their first son, everything began to get worse with the disease and he began to become hunchback. And he was beginning to be limited in some of the things that he could do. And he came to us and he said, I've decided to have the surgery. And it wasn't just, it's not for the faint of heart. The surgery was going to require them to basically fillet his back and put 14 inch rods up and down both sides of his spine. Screws all along the way, cutting through muscle, cutting through everything with a very long recovery. And the doctor said, without the surgery, he'll eventually become crippled. But with the surgery, there's a risk that he'll become crippled. So there's a risk that he could bleed out and die. There's a risk he can be paralyzed for the rest of his life. There's a risk that he could die during the surgery. And as they were wheeling him back to take him into the surgery, his precious wife, our daughter-in-law, went to one area of the hospital to pray. Our, my husband, powerful man of God, went to another area of the hospital to pray. And Mama went to find her secret place, her altar to pray. And I began to cry out and I began to say, God, you can't take my son. You can't let this end in death. You can't do this. And God began to rebuke me and he said, when did your faith begin to waver? Wow. When did your faith become about what the doctor said? And he said, am I not the same God that showed up in the car when Nate was two years old? And Nate used to tell me from the back seat, Mom, I give you a kiss and a hug. And he would make the kiss and the hug sound. And one day when he was two years old, I heard him give a kiss and a hug. And I thought it was for me. And I said, Nate, what are you doing? He said, Jesus just gave me a kiss and a hug. And God spoke to me and he said, am I not the same God wow. that gave him a kiss and a hug in the back seat? Am I not the same God that when your daughter was still in China before you knew her, that I would visit her in the orphanage and say, your mom is coming to get you. And she would come to me at five years old and tell me the dream of that happening. Am I not the same God that has walked you through every season of your life? Am I not the same God that met you at 13 years old at that park bench encounter? Am I not the come same on. God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead See, here was Isaiah. 
He was all alone. There was no one there to see him get to enter into the throne room of God. See, it was a perfect recipe for a supernatural encounter. See, we must speak up. We live in a in a generation that wants us to speak with a feather and not a sword. That wow. God is separating the sheets from the goats because the goat will eat anything. And God is saying, I'm calling my people out because what we need today is people with pure hearts, with skinned up knees, and with steel backbones that will stand up for what is right. And Isaiah said, woe is me because I am ruined. See, not everybody else, not woe is everyone else, not woe is everybody who's ever done anything to me. I have no mask, I have no facade to, to stand behind anymore. See, I'm exposed in all my ways. His presence reveals the truth. See, it's time that we get to a point where we stop complaining about what we're not willing to confront in our lives. See, there's a moment that we have to arise where you're willing to confront what has held you back for so many years. See, some of you can't let go of your past in order to see your future. But your past has become your crutch that keeps you in the past. And it to keep you remained as a victim. But no more tonight. God is calling you out to no longer be a victim. Amen. See, you can't get undone until you confront where you have come from. Wow. See, 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. See, he was saying, I have to stop right here because he began to realize how dirty he was. There comes a moment where you come up front where you don't complain about what mama did. You don't complain about what dad did. You don't complain about the things that have been said about you and done to you. And you start to tell God, this is where I realize just how dirty I am. Just how dirty I have been in my life. See, what you, what are you refusing to confront in your life? You're missing your moment, that moment of revelation. See, it was when he cried out, I saw the Lord, that he suddenly realizes that his own reflection had changed. It was when he looked up and he said, I saw the Lord, that he realized that something had changed inside of him. Because it's not until we stop looking in the mirror of confirmation or the mirror of conformity that we begin to see that God is doing your work inside of us. See, there's a moment in every person's life where you have to become the one who is experiencing the encounter with God because we have to quit waiting on everyone else to lead us there, everyone else to, to present it to us. See, Elijah, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah, Isaiah was at that point. He was no longer writing down what someone else had seen. He was no longer writing down what someone else had heard. He was no longer writing down what someone else was telling him. Old revelation had died. Secondhand revelation had died because you can't live off everyone else's revelation. See, the place where you know that you know that you know that you know that God is big, that God is powerful, that God is real, that God is the, the deliverer, that God has saved you, that God is your healer. That moment where you say, I know that I know that I know that he is my everything. He is my friend. He is the lover of my soul. See, he was no longer looking the part. He was no longer just talking the part, but now he was experiencing God. See, I don't want to just hear what others have to say. I want to live the God adventure. I want to live that God adventure. And he would go on later to write where he would say in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before her shears. So he did not open his mouth. See, his altar experience opened his eyes to see who the true lamb was. His altar experience opened his eyes to see revelation. And you will never be truly undone until you are tied to the one, till you're tied to the altar. See, you'll never really be undone until you go up and you say, I want to be tied to you, Father. I want to be tied to your presence. See, I'm closing here. See, there's a doorway to your freedom. See, Isaiah told us that there was a lamb coming. 
give us access to the altar. See, he had an altar call experience that would show him what the real altar would be. See, all of a sudden in the New Testament, John the Baptist would write in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God. See, Jesus was continually having altar call moments throughout the Bible that would lead to the cross. When he called the disciples, when, they, when he dealt with the woman with the issue of blood, Nicodemus when he saw him at night, Zacchaeus in the tree, the demon-possessed man at the after the storm. Because when you are faced with a storm, Jesus will come in and say, peace, be still, and he will calm the storm. It was Mary washing his feet. It was the story of the prodigal son. And he, it's a moment where he would turn an execution of a woman into an altar call that would change not only her, but a city. It was Jesus. It was the man at the pool of Bethesda where he would walk in. Do you not realize the man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus would walk in past the sheep gate. Do you not know the significance of that? The sheep gate was the gate that they led the sacrifice in to be laid upon the altar. And Jesus would walk through the sheep gate as a representation that he was the ultimate lamb, that he would be led to the slaughter. And he looked at the man and he as if to say, do you not know who I am? Take up your mat and walk. It was an altar call moment. Wow. See, Jesus was always creating altar calls. But still we needed a lamb. We needed a mediator. First Timothy 2.5 says that God, therefore there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ. See, we needed a high priest. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we didn't need a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, so many churches have abandoned the altar. We have become plastic surgery hospitals instead of emergency rooms. We have come to a place where we have forgotten the altar. I love what William Booth says. He says, the, church, the greatest danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and politics without God, and heaven without hell. See, we needed access to the altar because he would become our altar. Jesus would go to the cross and become the altar. He would be the ultimate sacrifice for us. Christine 19 says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. See, quit treating the altar so flippantly. It cost heaven everything. See, quit treating the cross and the altar so flippantly. Because the cross was not inexpensive. The cost of that cross, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't easy to look upon. The cross was a gruesome sight. But the cross is what gave me access to receive my freedom. He was the door that would be opened that would give you access. It was the ultimate altar call. Everyone close your eyes with me. See, Jesus gave you access. See, it was that moment, in that moment at the cross, that he gave me the ability to cry out, tie me to the altar, O Lord. Tie me to the altar. It was the ability that he gave my husband to call upstairs and say, Abby, meet me at the altar. It was the ability he gave me at 13 years old to see past my own self to what he had in store for me. See, it was 
at the altar, at the cross, that he opened up the doorway so that I could step in to see God face to face. But there's a doorway in front of you today. And there's some of you who have come here and you're so frustrated with life. You're so frustrated with where your life has taken you. And you say, God, I want to be undone in your presence. I want to be undone in that moment of encounter. And he's calling to you. See, it wasn't the angels crying, holy, 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 as wonderful as that was. It wasn't the shaking of the threshold. It wasn't the brilliance of the gold and the silver and all the gloriousness of that room. It was in the year that he said, my pride I lay aside so that I can encounter your glory.
that you want to be undone. And if you're in this room and you've allowed things into your life that has wrapped you up and so entangled you into the culture that surrounds you, if there are those of you in here who have gotten to the point where you've so, been so wrapped up and entangled that the enemy has lied to you and it has led you down a path that has caused you to be in a place of frustration and that God wants to get you to a place of frustration to get you to get out of your comfort zone to take you to your place of your next. And if you're in this place with every eye closed, with every eye head bowed and you're in a place and you say, I want to give everything to him. I want to surrender. I want him to start me over. You know what that word means? To be undone, to be ruined. It means to start me over, God. And if you're in this room and you say, I want to be started over. I want another chance, Lord. I want to get to a place where I can have another chance. Another chance for my family. Another chance for my life. Another chance for my marriage. Another chance for everything. Then I want you to raise your hand right now. Just lift it up high. Just lift it up. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I repent. Start me over. Woe is me. Not everybody else. Woe is me. Undo me, Lord. Start me over. Give me a second chance. Make me new again. Come into my life. Renew my spirit. Bring freedom back into my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're in this place and you've been frustrated, that you're stuck between somewhere between amen and there it is. And you say, God, I'm stuck. I'm frustrated. I want to go to the next level, but I don't know how to get there. I'm frustrated. Then just begin to cry out right now. Just begin to cry out. Just begin to cry out. Just to lift his name up. Just begin to worship. Just begin to, to tell him the things
loves desperate people. God loves those who are desperate to call on His name, who won't give up, who won't back down, who won't quit when everyone else around them is quitting, who won't lay down in the midst of the battle, who won't give up when everyone says it's hopeless. How did I that he is the 